Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 90. 90. It seems like a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. Have you guys spent 90 hours listening to us? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you guys need to think about what you're doing with your lives. I know. No, you guys are doing great. Keep up the good work. In fact, I think you should go back and listen to everything again and then tell your friends. That's what we would like. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So we had a fun adventure this week. We did. Yeah. It's been – the sun came out. We feel like new people. We got a couple of days of like 70 degree sunny weather after an eternity of cold, dark, cold rain. Did I say cold two times? Because it was cold. I mean, you're also talking to people who probably are still living in a snowstorm. So I know, I know. Cold um, for Georgia. Cold for Georgia. Cold for Georgia. Cold for Georgia. Um, but yeah, we had a couple of beautiful days. And so Jan and I decided, I was like, I need to leave my house and just be with another adult. So can we see each other socially distanced <laughs> and yeah. also not with children? And, and we were like, me too. <laughs> Let's go. And uh, we rode our bikes we as rode- if we were children. I know. Like the Goonies. Mm-hmm. We Goonies did all the way to uh, – we, and then we had an outdoor meal, socially distant, safe outdoor meal and a couple of adult beverages. And then we uh-huh. biked all the way back in the nighttime like a couple of wild, wild teenagers. We were Without like a driver's on- license. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I had a headlamp – we were just like willy-nilly. I almost ran into a median. It was amazing. Yeah, whenever I ride a bike, I like to picture that we look like, you know, like um, like beautiful French women with like a baguette in your, in your front basket. But then whenever I catch like a glance out of like a storefront window that we're riding past and like, oh, I look like Chunk from Goonies just trying to keep up with his friends. You know, not cute. Just like your little legs trying to go so fast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, 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 wait, wait. Um, but yeah, it felt really great, and um, just felt good to get outside and get yeah, get moving. And I and think not just, be around I've... our families for a hot second. <laughs> that was great. That was great. I think mm-hmm. I've gotten so just because it's like we figured out when everything was super strict lockdown, like where we could go and the things we could do, and we were staying in our neighborhood. And I've just gotten into a routine of like when I go for walks, it's the same walk. And when I, you know, like we order takeout from the same place and like we don't go anywhere. So yeah. it was just nice to like. Like everything we did was totally safe with masks and whatever. I mean, I know we don't have to keep saying that, but I guess I just want to emphasize it because I want to be like, yes, please, everybody do that. Um, But it just felt nice to be like out of the routine. Like we went, I went to a new part of Atlanta. We got to go to a new part of a bike trail and it just felt fun to be like biking around at night. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It's like there's a whole, like there's a world out there. (laughs) There is. It's amazing. We're going to see it. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so um so. so yeah so it was fun thanks for getting me out of my house sure anytime <laughs> who wants to start a bike club who wants to be in a bike club i'll you guys? make the jackets <laughs> <laughs> or i'll order them for you online and put whatever logo you see fit how about right that? <laughs> <laughs> awesome well um so should we get into our quickies? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. You know, sometimes we just feel like we want to phone it in and, and find a really good listicle and that'll that'll sail us through our quickie. 
I sure But it's do. always a fun ride, right? It's always fun. Yeah. We always like it. It is always fun. Well, that's what I did this week. Um, so this right. quickie comes from <laughs> an article for brides.com written by Alexis Hobbs. Here's what's funny is I'm sailing off of Alexis Hobbs' work, who is sailing off of having asked Reddit users to write in their most horrifying wedding stories that are killing us. So <laughs> Alex, you were feeling lazy. Guess what? I'm feeling lazy and I'm going to take your work, taking the Reddit users work. And we're going to have a good time. So Redditors all wrote in Alexis Hobbs at brides.com and sent in their most horrifying wedding stories. And they're pretty goddamn horrifying. Oh, Um, yeah. I'm going to read all of my favorites. (laughs) One says, I was behind the private bar as a bartender and I noticed the bride running around frantically asking for help and on the... And all the groomsmen in a complete panic because they can't find the groom. It turns out he went outside with his best friend to blow a line of coke in the parking lot and got arrested. Whoa. And yeah, and got arrested and sent to jail like an hour into his own wedding reception. It says he wow. ruined. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine how pissed the like her the bride's parents must have been? No, you know can you ma- I mean? yeah. Can you imagine like paying I mean, for just, that wedding, and then having like being the bride and having to tell your parents? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, how embarrassing! Like it just oh, all yeah. Around. It says it ruined the entire event for everyone. The bride proceeded to get completely shit canned and make a scene. I mean, what else are you gonna do? Yeah, uh, and it said, and causing- also if you're. Probably if you're marrying the type of guy who will go out and do a line of coke in the parking lot at his own wedding reception, you're probably the kind of girl who gets shit-faced at her own wedding. <laughs> That's my guess. Exactly. And it said, um, so she made the scene causing about half of their guests to just sort of quietly leave. And they left five <laughs> full kegs of beer behind, all of which they still had to pay for. It was so uncomfortable going up to the father of the bride and asking him to sign the credit receipt which included all of the stuff he still had to pay for, but that they couldn't consume. I feel like oh, I would stay no. and party with her, you know? Yeah. I don't I'd know. Be- I don't know that I'd quietly <laughs> leave. I'd be like, yeah, fuck it. Let's get shit-faced. Like, let's see. Let's see what happens from here. Yeah. <laughs> The next one says, um, I bartend weddings. I guess there's a lot of wedding bartenders on Reddit. Um, said, I bartend weddings, so I get to see like 20 to 30 a, a year. And probably the craziest thing I've ever seen was only a couple of weeks ago. The bride was absolutely plastered. Bar was closed. And she's leaning against the bar. Some really dorky guy comes up to her and starts telling her how he thought that they were always more than friends and that they had a deep connection as if to just shut this moron up the bride pulls the top of her dress down and says there and walks away <laughs> like you just wanted to see my boobs fine fine oh my god fine uh, here. <laughs> and so um Then uh, the next one says, two of my friends got married. The groom cheated on his bride quite often, including the night before the wedding. An anonymous text was sent out and spilled the beans to the bride. A fight ensued, but the wedding continued as planned. And the girl that did the bride's makeup for the wedding? Well, that was the girl who had been sleeping with the groom. I've never witnessed a more awkward situation in my life. She still came and did the makeup? I guess. Isn't that insane? Like you want your makeup done like that way so badly that you're going to let her do your makeup? That's crazy pants. That's That's insane. I would do my – I pretty much did do my own makeup. Yeah, me too. Um, Because (laughs) I was too nice to say I didn't like what the girl was doing. So I was like, "Uh uh-huh, great. Great job. Love it. <laughs> and then as soon as they left, I quietly went and washed my face and started all over. <laughs> You're like, and here's a huge tip. Just leave, yeah, please. I love you. I love it. I'm going to – it's the best. 
do you want me to write a review for you? Because I can't wait. And then, um, and then I washed it off. So, but oh my god, I can't imagine. Like, I can't imagine. But some people are so crazy about their hair and makeup. Like, I know people that got like ten trial runs before. I didn't do any. Did you get a trial hair and makeup before you got married? No, I didn't need. No, it. I, I mean, just I like I trust you, even though yeah. I've never met you. Doctor Dubuck <laughs> did my makeup. So I really like no. I mean, I didn't have a makeup person, and then some lady that my mom got her hair done said that she could do wedding hair, (laughs) and she came and did it, and like did my hair. Like I, yeah, I'd never met her. I just was like, all right, fine. I mean, I didn't. My hair was like very simple. Like it just was like pinned back. You know, it was not (laughs) fancy. So yeah, I don't know. I, I know. know. I remember now that my friend Danielle did come and help me redo my makeup. So she did my makeup after the other person. Yeah. Left. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but I can't imagine being that like particular about my makeup that I would sit through that. I would not. Not on my wedding day. I also wouldn't marry the guy that cheated on Right. Um, I mean, I guess if you're the type of girl who's going to marry a guy who you know is cheating on him, maybe you just care more about appearances. I guess. I don't know. The makeup. But um, so this one, this last one, I think is the worst. This is the one that had me be like, what? But okay. It says, I didn't witness it myself, but my father told me, a story once of when he was at a wedding. The groom decided halfway through the ceremony that he didn't want to get married. He was then attacked by the father and brother of the bride. And after a brawl and a few bloody noses, he changed his mind and they (gasps) got married. No. Could you imagine marrying the guy that your family beat into wanting to marry you? you? Oh, I mean, what the fuck? That's, no, that I feels know. like very old school. Like I hope that was from like yeah. a very long time ago because that is like horrifying. it sounds like a like a nineteen twenties shotgun wedding and the bride was pregnant and they were right him her, into doing the right thing. Yeah, like you know, her what reputation they would have been. Then. Yeah, but, she would have been ruined if anybody oh knew. My God, that's like crazy. Um, yes. So yeah, those are um, there are more. So if you guys want to uh, read yeah. the rest of them, <laughs> if you're bored, go to brides.com and Google horrifying wedding disasters from Reddit. It's a really uh, there are so many. I, we just don't have time for them all. That's all you right. get. But they're so good. They're so they good. are. They're so good. Okay, so my quickie is a perfect one for our show because it's about people who have a lot of love to give. But they're also very dumb. So, okay. okay. So in November of 2020, you remember it, New Orleans mm-hmm. was slightly lifting its COVID restrictions. And so, like, they were, like, allowing – you could have more people gathered, whatever. I don't know why because COVID was very rampant at that time as well. But mm-hmm. it, either way, a guy named Bob Hannaford, who is the owner of a company called Naughty Events, thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity to host a four-day swingers convention <gasps> called Naughty Nolans. Naughty Nolans. 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 Okay. And then, and he wasn't the only one because over 300 people also thought it would be a great idea and they attended the convention. They tried to take some COVID precautions. The Naughty events issued wristbands that showed if if anybody had paperwork to prove that they had antibodies and other wristbands oh that had the date God. on it of the person's last negative test result. And when they were in lines, they had to socially distance and wear masks in public spaces. But, like, it's also a swingers convention. So, like, how socially distanced could you be? Exactly. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, so he said that some attendees did admit to being more lax on the last few days of the convention. And he wrote a blog about this because he said, all in all, the event seemed like a big success. We pulled off a lifestyle event with the strictest protocols, and we were able to create create an event that we certainly would not advertise as safe, but it was the safest possible version we could plan. 
And as you can imagine, these safe as possible restrictions did not stop people from spreading COVID. You and don't God say. knows what else. Yeah. <laughs> After the convention, there were at least 41 known infections tied to Holy the convention. Fuck. Like, this is why we're going to be dealing with this for so fucking long. It's because people can't stop having swingers conventions in New Orleans <laughs> during a pandemic. It's one thing if you're like, you know what, I really need to go out to eat. It's like another thing that you're like, I have to go to this swingers convention. This sounds like a good idea. I mean, like, it wasn't. I'm willing to bet that there are plenty of swingers meetups with like 10 or less people. Yeah. Is that a great idea? Not really, but it's a better idea than 300 people. <laughs> He says, shortly after the event, the text started. They had their first positive case. Then the emails started. And at first, there were five people tested positive on Monday. Tuesday was up to 14. Wednesday jumped to 29. Holy fuck. It's and like they did a science, science experiment to show what happens during the, the pandemic. Exactly. Yes. So within a week, they had 41 out of 30 300 people had tested positive. And he was like, actually, the numbers could be much higher because they have no idea how many people – like, people weren't required to get tested after the event. He said, "Yeah, we don't know if anybody did test positive and didn't tell us or if they just didn't get tested because they don't have symptoms. And he wrote, like, sometimes it's okay to admit we don't have the answers. I don't have the answer now, and I didn't have the answer on November 11th, but I wouldn't do it again if I knew then what I know now. I'm like, we all fucking knew oh my God. what you know now. We knew. We all knew. He said, it weighs on me and it will continue to weigh on me until (gasps) everyone is 100% better. But it definitely – it didn't like shut down the company or anything because if you would like to, Jen, you could go to Naughty Nolens too. This time I hope lets everybody has a vaccine and it's scheduled for August 4th through 8th. So – well, I want to go to Nolens. Yeah. I love Nolens. I got married Uh in Nolens. Yeah. Um, But I just – I'll get naughty on my own, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't need organized I don't naughtiness. Need organized that sounds naughtiness. like the That's the opposite of naughtiness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. I have to get a wristband, I don't wanna. Yeah. If there are theme nights, no thank you. Yeah. I will go to BravoCon though, if it's available. <laughs> <laughs> I will um, risk my life for that. I thank mean you. I will. <laughs> Meet Andy Cohen. <laughs> um, uh, man, that's wild. Isn't that wild? And I can I tell you that that's not yeah. the only that's not the only swingers convention that where that happened. So there have been multiple swingers conventions that have had COVID outbreaks. Wonderful. Like, so that was just one story. <laughs> there was like another one in Belgium. I saw. I mean, wow. Yeah. So yay. yay. People. People. Dumb, dumb people. Mm-hmm. <sighs> hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. Are you ready for the true crime portion of our podcast? I am ready for that. Good. <laughs> <laughs> what if you're like, damn Cause it, because I get didn't it. <laughs> prepare one today. Get it. <laughs> All right. Um, so this, this week, the story comes from an article for Fox Now written by Molly Rose, an article for the San Diego Union Tribune uh, written by staff, and uh-huh. also <laughs> episode of Who the Bleep Did I Marry? Oh, man. It's so good. Mm-hmm. So good, that it's show. so good. In 2001, 21-year-old Marine Stephen Tapati was stationed out in California. He was a sergeant in the Marines. That's pretty amazing for a 21-year-old. Yeah. Um, but, and, but he really loved, loved what he did and loved being in the Marines. But he also had a really fun side to him. He lived near Oceanside, which is right north of uh, San Diego. There was a little bar there where he would run and host a karaoke night. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, he loved the karaoke. You got to be a fun guy to host that. Um, Yeah, I guess. Kind of. I mean, I guess I've seen some like really ornery karaoke hosts. Yeah. (laughs) But 
Um, but they're just they- like, is it my turn to show off my voice? <laughs> Not yet. So one night when he was doing his hosting duties, he saw a very attractive young woman get up and she started singing and her voice apparently was just amazing and blew the whole room away. And everybody was like, who's that girl? Which is what all of us envision is happening whenever we get up and sing for karaoke. (laughs) Who is she? (laughs) Who is she and why is she torturing us? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know. I was going to say mine's more like, who is she? But so the singer happened to be 18-year-old Astrid Pinate. And when she finished her song, she went and sat down at a table with her best friend who was with her, uh, another young girl named Ebony Wood. And, and she as, was like, top that, bitches. Yeah. Drop the mic. Yeah. And then <laughs> Stephen um, actually recognized Ebony because her father was also in the military. So he had seen her at some command functions. It gave him you know, kind of an in, an, an excuse to go over to the table and start talking to them. Yeah. So, but once he, you know, got to the table and was talking to them, him and Astrid totally hit it off. They spent the whole night talking about just life and stuff and their families and music. And they were very attracted to each other. So he ended up asking her out on a date. And a few days later, they went out. Astrid told Stephen that she had a confession to make. She said that she used to run with a really bad crowd. Like, she just wanted him to know, like, I'm kind of a bad girl, you know? Um, He was like, it makes me like you even more. Yeah. But Stephen didn't care. He just thought, you know, she's young. Everybody did dumb shit when they were young. Like, who cares? And she was. Like, I can't imagine, like, an 18-year-old being like, I have a dark past. (laughs) Like, okay, you barely have a past. I know. (laughs) Exactly. So they continued to date and they spent, you know, just about every moment together and right off the bat. And just two months into the relationship, Astrid finds out some very big news. She finds out that she's expecting a baby. She got into college. No. (laughs) And she's having a baby. But when she told Stephen that she was pregnant, he was actually thrilled. You know, he was actually at the age of 21, which is still very, very young. He said that he was totally ready for a family. He just wanted to settle down and be married with a baby. And so then four months after that, on September 29th, 2001, Stephen and Astrid got married in a small church in Escondida, California. And so the wedding was very small and they only had like one hour for the wedding to happen. And they almost canceled it because she didn't show up until there was only like 10 minutes left of the hour. And so I know, I know, but they kind of just chalked it up to like, she's young and she's pregnant. She probably got scared, but the good thing is she's here. And so they got married And everyone said that they seemed really happy. You know, she ended up giving Uh birth to a baby boy. I I feel like I always say, and then for a while, things seemed great. Um, (laughs) And for a while, everything was ideal. (laughs) Exactly. But one thing that was weird was that Astrid's best friend, Ebony, the one that was at the bar with her that one night, was always at their home, always at the house every day. And it really started to wear on Stephen because he was like, you know, I'm this, you're my wife. We have a baby. I just want to come home to work and just have you here, you know? So he said that it felt like she was fourth member of the family because she was there so much. But Astrid told him that because he's in the military, he's gone all the time and she just really wants wanted the company of her best friend there. And so he mm-hmm. was like, all right. But then on August 13th, 2003, Stephen was looking forward to finally getting a date night out with his wife. Um, no Ebony, just him and his wife. And they were able to, they left their son with Astrid's parents. So they go and drop their son off with her parents. And then they went to dinner and they saw a movie. And then Astrid suggested that they go take a walk on the beach in Oceanside. Stephen was a little worried about going to 
the beach in Oceanside because apparently Oceanside was considered to be not a very safe area. It was a very crime ridden area of the beach. Uh-huh. Um, with him being in the military, he just kind of surveyed the area while they were walking and he thought like, okay, you know, this looks safe enough. We'll go for a walk. So they did. And then they ended up finding a little spot to sit down and Astrid asked him to close his eyes. And so he, you uh-huh. know, thought that they were going to make out or something. But when he closed his eyes, all of a sudden he felt a huge stab on the side of his neck. And when he, yeah, and when he opened his eyes, he saw a body dressed in all black running away. But it was dark out, and he couldn't make out who it was that was running uh-huh. away. And but his wife was there, and she was screaming and panicking, and he was just like holding his pressure on the wound, and he was telling her like, "Go get help, go get help." So she ran off to go get help and he sat there holding pressure on the wound until the paramedics could get there and when they did they ended up um, rushing him by helicopter to a nearby hospital his neck was slit and it (laughs) severed several arteries and the tip of the knife was actually had broken off into his neck um Yeah. Oh. And so, <laughs> it's so okay. painful. And so yeah. he, while he was in surgery, he was actually put under protective custody by the police because they thought that it was obvious that this was a targeted attack and they didn't know who it was. And they wondered, was it somebody in the military? Was it one of his students? Why was he attacked and Astrid was not? Right. And so they were able to save him, thankfully. And just two months later, he was already back to work. But it was really hard for him. He was still in a lot of pain. He was very tired all the time and he would fall asleep early every night. Sounds like us right you know? <laughs> I was like did I get stabbed I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he was having and he was having a really hard time training his military students you know just because he he had just survived a horrific attack you know but I think right. he was just trying to be strong and go back to work doctors ended up deeming him undeployable and he was medically discharged from the Marine Corps, which absolutely devastated him. Yeah. That was what he lived to do, and he felt like that was his life's purpose, and now he can no longer do that. Don't, um, don't you feel like they could have found something else for him to do while he recovered or just given him some fucking time off? I know. I don't, I don't know. know how it works, but that seems that seems yeah. heartless, honestly. I know. It does. So he was very upset about that. And then not only that, but you know, he was having problems with Astrid. She just was starting to seem more distant. And Ebony was still there all the time and every day. And Stephen asked Astrid to ask Ebony to spend less time at their home, but she just refused to ask her best friend to leave. So things were starting to get tumultuous in their their home. And then one morning on January 4th, 2004, Stephen was taking a nap on a love seat in their living room when all of a sudden he woke up to a loud bang and the smell of gunpowder in the room. Um, you know, fuck? being in the military, he knew it, it immediately that it was gunpowder, yeah. you know. And so he turned around and he saw a woman running out the kitchen door. And so when Stephen looked, he saw the bullet hole in the couch and he saw that it was just a, a foot away from where his head had been. And then in a panic, he ran through the house to find his wife and his son to make sure that they were okay. And he couldn't find them anywhere in the house. So now he's really panicked. And he calls Astrid on her cell phone. And when she answered, he was like, are you okay? Is our son okay? Where are you? And then he tells her that, you know, someone just came into their house and tried to shoot him. And she was like, okay, we're just around the corner. I'll come home now. But then when Astrid comes through the door, he sees that she is wearing the exact same outfit as the woman that ran through the kitchen door just a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. And this was <laughs> this is another like I'm going to break the fourth wall for a second. Okay. <laughs> uh, so on the show um who the bleep did I marry? <laughs> he goes um when he talks about that all of a sudden she comes in wearing the same outfit as the woman that just shot in at him and ran out the door. He goes, and I thought some just ain't jiving with me. <laughs> <laughs> It just made me laugh because it made me – I don't know. Have you ever seen the comedian Cola Scola? 
No. I love him. I'm obsessed with him. He's the funniest thing in the whole world. Go see his one man show. If they, if they, you know, once he starts touring again, but anyway, but he does this and Google this, but he does this um, like spoof on true crime documentaries, but he does this thing where like the, they'll be like, and, and then the killer was wearing the same shoes as the person that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he'll just go. And then I thought, something ain't right. And then we're like, we're like, I can't do it exactly. I'm going to like ruin the sketch. Well, please Google it. It's so Where funny. it's like but somebody is like, they were standing there holding the knife with blood dripping from me. Like, huh. And said, I'm going to kill about you. this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's when I thought, mm, something's not right. <laughs> but, um, but please just go Google that right now and watch it and die laughing. Um, but yeah. anyway, so it reminded me of that. That's what made me laugh so hard. It's like, something ain't driving with me is how it was the word you said she also didn't have her son with them but she but ebony was there with her uh-huh. and um mm-hmm. and so when steven told her you're wearing the same outfit as the person that just shot at me did somebody just attack you and put these clothes on you <laughs> yeah and astrid said you know what it had to have been someone that looked like me, and I think I know who it was. And um, uh-huh. me and Ebony are going to go get them. And then uh-huh. he, and then Stephen was just like, um, "Okay." So he just, so he just lets Astrid and Ebony take off. Like we're going to go find this person that we think we have an idea who this person was, and we're going to get him. And right. so he just, you know, stayed at the house and waited for for them to come back, and they never did until. <laughs> At 1.30 the fall, <laughs> and they never did. And then at 1.30 <laughs> the end. And I thought, some ain't right. <laughs> and then the following morning, he gets a phone call from the California Highway Patrol. Mm-hmm. And they were calling to let him know that Astrid and Ebony had been arrested. They had been pulled over at the Arizona border. It was like a random traffic stop, which amazing that it was uh, just like a traffic stop but when they searched their car they found a firearm and then a handwritten recipe for ricin which if you listen to our podcast you would be an expert on poison by now right and uh if you spent 90 hours with us then you know you know all about ricin so ricin um and castor beans which are used to make ricin so and ricin is actually considered a we- weapon of mass destruction. So they arrested them. And when they brought them in and separated them, um, put them both under questioning, Astrid actually admitted that she had shot at Stephen. She also admitted that she had hired the hitman to stab him when they were at the beach. Mm-hmm. And she also admitted that they have been trying to drug and poison him with random pharmaceuticals that they had bought in Mexico. Oh, that's and why then, he was so tired? Yeah. And, and couldn't that, do his work? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And so when that didn't work, they bought castor beans and decided to make their own ricin in a makeshift lab that they had set up in the garage. Yeah. Thank, so, thank God that these women were like the worst good. murderers ever. Yeah. Because all in all, there had been five attempts to to kill him, and he survived all of them. And so, and he's just um, like some feels off about yeah, something's not right. <laughs> and so, it turned out that Astrid and Ebony were not just friends, but they had uh-huh. been in a relationship the whole time. Their plan was to murder Stephen and collect on his $500,000 life insurance, and then they were Mm -hmm. going to use that money to buy a house together. I have to say, it really, there's more, but um, but Uh like, it's really amazing to me that you would go through such trouble and so many attempts to take a person's life. And then when you're under questioning, you just tell them everything. Yeah, you know, I, you know, yeah, <laughs> and you just like buckle and and just say yes, I did all of these things, all all these different times, like because right, let me they, tell you about more. Yeah, and so in August two thousand four, Asher Tapati pled guilty to attempted murder and possession of a firearm during a violent crime, and she was sentenced to eleven years in jail. 
and Ebony Wood pled guilty to aiding an attempted murder and was sentenced to eight years in prison. And the identity of the hitman that had stabbed Stephen still remains a mystery. Nobody knows who that was. It could have been Ebony. I don't know. So I mean, that's but, what I thought. And then Ebony was released from jail in 2001 and Astrid was released in 2013. And then when I was, you know, doing more research and looking all of them up, I saw that sadly Stephen passed away on November 29th, 2017 at the age of 39. Oh my Um, gosh. Yeah. He was killed in a work-related accident, Fenton, Missouri. Before he passed away, it looked like he led a really great and happy life. It's just a shame that he was like in a band and he looked, he, there's all these pictures of him looking happy and all these people around him and friends and family. And he looked very beloved. And I, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's, too sad that his life was taken away so so soon yeah so yeah and then ebony and astrid are they're out there out there just living their lives yeah they have like well i couldn't really find anything on ebony but astrid you know she has a career and family and she's just living her life Mm -hmm. wow Mm -hmm. wow i know that seems that seems crazy for five attempts on someone's life. But I, I guess, know. I mean, you know, I, just... I actually debated about like, should I use a fake name? Because I don't really want to like, you know, I don't know. Like if anybody listens, I don't know if anybody listens. People listen to our podcast. Or we would never. <laughs> but I, I mean, like I would just wouldn't. That was, she was so young. She was 18 and now she's right. living a different life. And she it looks like she's got her life on track and she's got a career. Yeah, but then it was also like, and- but she's also like all over the internet for having done this. So I don't think our little podcast giving out her name is going to, right, do anything. So, right, too bad. Wow, that's and a, it's also a- facts. I'm also stating facts, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's a uh, that's crazy. I know, and it's just life's not fair. Life no, no, it's, no, that like these two girls get to be out and live their lives and he I doesn't. Know. Yeah, I know. Um, well, you've thoroughly depressed me. Sorry. <laughs> I guess what am I going to have to do? Bring us back up now? Fine. I'll yeah, do that's it. your job. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. You ready for the love story? Yes. All right. Good. Because I'm going to give it to you. Uh, Give it to me. This week, I got my information from a New York Times Vows article by Alex Wall, uh, two episodes of the podcast Unorthodox, and the website IreneAndHal.com. Okay. Okay. So when Irene Sabaja and... Hal Karp met in 1993, they were both the type of impressive young people that we all wished we were in our 20s. They were both living in Dallas. Hal had graduated from Southern Methodist University, and he was working as a freelance writer and an editor, and he was also an active volunteer with his young adults group at Temple Emanuel. And Irene had graduated from Rice University, and she'd gotten an MBA from Harvard, so she's Have very it. smart. Have it. Uh, how you like them apples? And she was working as a consultant for a strategy consultant for Bain and Company. And I, I'm just gonna like gloss over whatever a strategy consultant is because uh-huh. I don't. I feel like when people say titles like that, it's like the teacher from Charlie Brown. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Like I imagine a strategy consultant does something with synergy. I don't know. So so she that's what she did, but she was also an active volunteer with the temple. And Hal had organized this event through the young adults group to update a playground that he had actually designed a few years earlier. And it was a playground for children with HIV. And oh. Irene was one of the volunteers who showed up to help. And Hal was just kind of like blown away with her from 
the beginning. He said she was smart as all get out and a go-getter and, and is all into whatever she's into. And she just lit up a room. Her laugh could be heard from a block away. Irene felt hard for him too. She saw that Hal had a big heart and she loved that he wanted to make a difference in the world. And so the two started dating. They fell in love. But as they were dating, Irene noticed that Hal would have these pretty big mood swings and she didn't know what it was, but she was like starting to notice this behavior. And what she didn't know was that Hal was a drug addict and an alcoholic. Oh, no. Yeah. And he'd been struggling. He was 29 at this point, but he'd been struggling for years. And he was at the point where his life was just spiraling. He was in this cycle of just spending any money he had on drugs. He was really slacking off with work, but he would do things like he would get a parking ticket and then he would not pay it because he didn't have the money because he used it on drugs. And then he would get picked up and jailed for non-payment of parking tickets. But just those like stupid stuff like that. But he was in this cycle of just, you know, just what happens to a lot of addicts, you know. Um, But he also, like many addicts, he was really good at hiding his addiction. So, So Irene, who, you know, was unfamiliar with being, she hadn't been around many drug addicts or alcoholics. And so she just didn't know what the signs were. But so Irene was preparing to leave for a year, she was going to Costa Rica to teach English. And this was something that she had arranged before she and Hal had met. But they were in love and they decided to try to make their relationship work while she was gone. And Mm -hmm. so they did long distance for a little bit, but it was really difficult. And Hal flew down to Costa Rica to visit, and it was just like this rough visit. And Irene said, I knew that he was struggling, but I didn't know the real reason. So she just is like, he's erratic and he's like really crazy, and I don't know why. And so when he returned from visiting him, she called him and broke up. Like she broke up with him. She was like, this isn't working. There's something obviously going on with you and I Mm -hmm. I can't deal with it. So he was angry with Irene and he was broke. And actually before she left, Irene had lent Hal a credit card so that he could finance a volunteer project that he was heading up. Because remember, he did all these big volunteer projects for, for the temple. And she had had actually had the statement sent to him so that he could make the payment. So, oh my God, that's the kind of trust I just don't have. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would give my husband a right. credit card and tell him just make sure you pay it. Right, right. Not never have any. I mean, this is always like before the internet. So it's not like she would get like could check online or anything right. like that. So it's like wow. either he got the statements or nothing. And so without her knowing, Hal got a second credit card in her name and then a third, and he ended up charging more than $10,000. Oh, my God. I know. And so he told the New York Times, he said, you know, you think you'll pay it back and she would never find out. And as an addict, you just rationalize the craziest things. And Irene, of course, did find out. And so she ended up calling him while she was still in Costa Rica and she confronted Hal. And she, you know, she was very angry, obviously, and she ended up hanging up on him. And then he kept trying to call her back and she wouldn't answer his calls. And he said that like that night after she called and confronted him, that he sat on his couch in the dark in his apartment. And he said he had realized that he violated the trust and had stolen from this woman that he loved and that he couldn't make up for that. And he said that that was like a moment of clarity. And that was August 1994. And Hal has been sober since that day. Wow. So 1994? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he like this was like a huge wake up call for him. And not that and he had been having wake up calls over. It wasn't the first one, but this was the right, last one. Right, right. And so Irene ended up turning, you know, the credit card matter over to the bank. Like basically they didn't make her pay it, but then it's up to them to kind of pursue charges. And Hal had actually started making regular payments on the charges and even provided, willingly gave his address and the name of his employer to like get the, give the money back. And the bank actually ultimately decided not to press charges, which is so rare in these situations, especially for that much money. And his lawyer yeah. told him that it was a miracle that he didn't serve time. Wow. So how like he really as he was getting sober, he wanted to make amends with Irene right away. 
But the people who were kind of like his sober coaches were like, listen, you've already ruined this person's life once. The best gift you can give her is to leave her alone. And so that is what Mm -hmm. he did. And that was the last contact they had for a very long time. Hal eventually got married in 1999, and he and his wife had a son. They ended up getting divorced some years later. Hal had always been a writer, and over the years, he ended up becoming a storyteller as well. He produced a Dallas storytelling event called Oral Fixation, where people came up on stage and told stories of their most vulnerable moments. I imagine it's kind of like the moth. Mm-hmm. Um And so that is how in September of 2018, Hal, who's now in his 50s, appeared on the popular Jewish podcast called Unorthodox. So the episode was for Yom Kippur and – which is all about atonement. And the so the episode was all about apologies. Hal tells a story of how during his his drug addiction, his brother John had asked him to get an apartment with him. And Hal said he had visions of it being this fun experience, but of course it wasn't because he was also hiding his addictions from his brother. And he talks about his downward spiral, about spending money on drugs, which meant he was not paying any of his rent or utilities to his brother, you know, and so he would make up excuses for why he didn't have the money and eventually pay with a check and that check would bounce and then he would have excuses for that. Like he would mm-hmm. be like, oh, it must be something wrong with the bank, you know, and his brother knew Something was happening, though. I mean, this has been a pattern with Hal, but he loved him. He gave him many chances, but eventually his brother, John, hit a breaking point. And the two ended up getting into this physical fight over some small thing, and they were fighting outside, and so the cops were called. And when the cops came, Hal made it seem as though John had attacked him, and it ended with John getting arrested, and Hal like walking free. And he said he walked back into the apartment and cracked a beer. And that in the podcast, Hal talks about how like in his drug fueled mind, he just like refused to make it right. Like he could have called and said, no, this was like a family thing or no, he didn't start it. He wasn't attacking me. We're brothers, but he wouldn't like his father called him and was like, you have to get your brother out of jail. And he was like, wow, no, and so um, his father. Why is that, that was, an addict mind thing? What do you mean? To like that he refused to let his brother get out. I don't. I don't know. But that was just something he said. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said it was like just um, trying to understand. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I wrote that, and then I was like, I don't know how specifically that, is, <laughs> but I think he was just in like such a selfish and self righteous and gotcha self focused state of mind that he basically maybe he was, was like, like in like a part of him was like I'm not the bad one right now. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like he's in jail. He fought me. Right. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that, Jen. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, Come with one his... next time. Okay. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'll try to be more prepared in the future. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, but so his like that was like his break with his family. His father was like, "We're done with you." And most painfully, he said his mother asked him, "Hal, who are you? We don't like. We don't even know you." And uh, so on the podcast, he talks about his road to recovery and his reunification with his family over the years. And he talks about how he got the opportunity to make things right with his brother years later by helping him through a surgery. And it's really just this beautiful story. And he also mentions how, as he's talking about all this, he's like, there's this list of people that I hurt badly during that time and I owe apologies to. And so what he didn't know, though, is as he recorded this podcast was that the person he was talking about who he owed an apology to would actually hear the episode. Wow. So so after Hal and Irene had split, Irene had gone on to get married in 1998. She had two children. But by 2018, she was divorced also. She was living in Arkansas, and she was a vice president at Nielsen, which is you know the marketing research company. And she said she'd often wondered how Hal was doing. She said sometimes like at low points in her life, she said maybe like every five years I would Google him. (laughs) She like I would kind of look it up online Uh and see where he was at. And she told the New York Times, she said, I thought you don't get that kind of love more than once in your life. It's not that I didn't love my ex-husband because I did, but it was just different. 
So she did one of those online searches in 2018 and she looked on his Facebook page and came across a link to the episode of Unorthodox. And when he talked about the others he had hurt, she knew that he meant her. And she said, you could just hear in his voice how sorry he was, the courage it took to do that. It was just so brave. And so then she did a brave thing and she wrote him on Facebook and she was like, I'm happy that you turned your life around and I, I'm I'm just happy to hear that you're happy and healthy. And she told him a little bit about her life and kind of just left it at that. It was just like a, hey, I'm glad to hear that you are better, you know? Mm-hmm. And when Hal got Irene's message, he was shocked. Like he was – he had deep regrets about how he'd handled things with Irene and he too had never forgotten about her. He said that Irene had set the highest bar possible, and he said that either consciously or unconsciously, other women could never measure up to her. So he wrote her back. He said, I'd like to make amends with you. I owe you a long overdue apology. And so if you're ever in Dallas, I'd love to see you. And two months later, she was in Dallas on a business trip, and the two met up. And Hal actually wanted to take the opportunity to give her this sincere apology that he hadn't been able to back then. He suggests they meet up at the Cafe Brazil, which is actually a place they'd gone together when they were dating. And she said that when he suggested it, she was like, okay, you're going to make this reunion even more loaded (laughs) than it already is. Um, But so she got there early because she had to be on a conference call and she was like on the phone and she said she was all distracted by work and whatever. And that when he walked in, everything stopped. And she said that getting this apology from him, she called it the gift she'd never thought she'd get in a lifetime. So, but beyond Mm -hmm. the apology, as the two are talking and reconnecting, they're realizing there's still a very real connection between them. So Irene decided to be brave again. And she asked, she was like, I don't know if I'll get the chance to ask this again. What was I to you? Like, did I mean anything to you? Because you were the love of my life. And Hal said Mm. it was as though Irene had pushed, like found and pushed his like emotion button and he started sobbing and he said, it just broke me. He said, it broke me to think that all these years she had thought that she didn't matter to me when she was all that mattered. So Hal wrote on their website that when he saw her this day, he could only describe it like this. He said, imagine for a moment your heart has amnesia, but your heart doesn't know it until one day it happens to knock on the door of its home completely by accident. And in that instance, your heart realizes that for 25 years, it's been lost and it didn't know. That was what this was like, like waking from a dream and finding your way home. Amazing. I know. So the two hugged at the end of this meeting and Irene said that hug was everything. And she got into her car and she started crying because they kind of left not knowing where things would go from there. And in fact, like when Irene texted Hal, she was still sitting in the car after this emotional meeting. And she, she texted, I'm glad you're healthy. I hope you're happy. Be well and be in touch if you wish. I'm not entirely sure how to navigate this reconnection. But he felt like like, he didn't want to push it because he was like, I don't, I've already done enough damage to this woman's life. But she, because she opened the door, they started texting and then they started traveling to see each other. So for her birthday, which was in December, a month after their first meeting, he invited her to meet him in Little Rock to see a touring show of Finding Neverland. And during this, the show, Hal said that Irene took her hand and it was like, just felt supernatural. And the next day they went on this hike together and they couldn't stop smiling. And every month throughout that next year, they found some occasion to see each other. And they both said it was if their hearts had come home, which they didn't even know was such a thing. So Irene, they're in love, right? Irene is in love with Hal, but she's nervous to tell her family particularly her mother, because her mom knew how badly Hal- remembered bad things. Yes. She knew how how badly Hal had hurt her in the past. And so Hal actually wrote Irene's mom a letter and apologized to her too and asked if they could talk. And so she said, yeah, 
I'd love to talk. I have a couple things to say to you. Yeah. And she like grilled him about how he treated Irene. And but she came out of their conversation, a Hal convert. She said, Hal is one of the sweetest, most caring people I've ever met. And I really knew how much he loved her and that he'd never stop despite what he'd done to her. And Irene said that Hal and her mother now have this like very sweet relationship. Okay, so in November of 2019, a year after their reunion, Hal and Irene were invited to appear on a live episode of Unorthodox in Cincinnati. And uh, Mark Oppenheimer, who's the host of the show, said, while we loved Hal's story of suffering and redemption, the last thing we expected was that broadcasting it would help him refine love. So the couple traveled to Cincinnati, and on the day before the show, Hal proposed to Irene. He prepared this beautiful video that I'll link to um, where he goes through their whole story, like their beginning, their reunion, all these pictures of their life together since. And he set it to music. And that song at the end was that song that's like, I think I want to marry you. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm totally butchered it. But anyway, I so think. I, I mean, you would know it if I had any kind of tune. Um, but but so the video ends and he's like down on one knee with a ring in his hand and asks him to marry him. And she says Aww. yes. And the next day they appeared on stage together to tell their story. Okay. So I and Irene said, forgiveness is a gift and it's a choice. In the years in between, we've done so much work on ourselves and we were in a place that this could happen. And if you want to listen to the episode, it's episode 215 of Unorthodox. It's called Wholehearted. Oh, wow. So in February of 2020, Hal moved to Arkansas with Irene, and he has his own business now. He works with college students on essays, so he was able to move his business and himself pretty easily. And they planned to get married in May of 2020, but of course, COVID, right? So yeah. they ended up moving their ceremony to December, which was on Irene's birthday. And Hal said, I've always remembered her birthday and believed it extra special because her date, 1216, when added together, totals 18. And Judaism, the number 18, holds great significance. In Hebrew, it reads chai, which signifies life and symbolizes being alive. And there is no one more alive than Irene. So they held their small Aww. ceremony. It was just just family and a few very close friends. And they held it at the same place where they met, Temple Emmanuel in Dallas. And nearly 100 people joined them virtually. Irene wore this gorgeous, this gorgeous wedding gown along with yellow Converse sneakers that were chosen by her daughter, Tova, who Thank actually- you. Yeah, and her daughter wore matching, matching Converse. Aww. And- yeah, it was very sweet. To honor Irene's late father, Hal, Hal, Hal's son Eli, and Irene's son Samuel wore ties that had belonged to Irene's father, which I'm sure was Aww. very special. So Hal wrote, in a way that we could not predicted, it was simultaneously both intimate and grand. It was shared, special, and significant in every single way one hopes their wedding day will be. And they had a ceremony afterwards where guests joined them there virtually. They had actually sent their guests celebration boxes filled with Prosecco, champagne flutes, wedding cookies, hand sanitizer, and like accessories for doing a photo booth at home. And Tova's daughter, Irene, said, there's so much love here today. You can feel it through the screens. So it was like just an amazing ceremony. And in his vows, Hal called back to Irene's response to his apology where she said she called it the gift she never thought she'd get and he said i was the one who got the gift i never thought i'd receive in this lifetime your love oh yeah and that's their story so sweet it is i, I sweet. mean it's like normally i'm pretty unforgiving when it comes to stuff like that but the when he left her alone yeah. To live her life because he knew that was best for her. That spoke volumes because right, that's I know the so least many self- toxic relationships where the person doesn't ever go away. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Where they're just like, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Like, please make me yeah. feel better about myself. Like he just was yeah. like, all right, I'm going to do the work and live with what I've done. And yeah. you get to you get to move on. I know. Yeah. That's – I, I it's really beautiful. And like, they're just very, like, listening to them on the podcast. Like, she's, 
you know, she's not this romantic, flighty person. She's like very level-headed, but she's like, this person was the love of my life. She just, it's just really beautiful. They're like, their love together is really beautiful. And I just love the story of them reconnecting as people who are like whole, you know, like yeah. both of them being whole people. So yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good one, man. Thanks, man. Good story. All right. Should we do something okay. dumb and something we love? Sure. I will start. So I guess for my something dumb this week is that my dog, I feel like just a couple months ago, I was bragging about how young seeming my dog Frank was. Oh, yeah. You know, he's 13, but I was like, but he's a young 13. He right. It's like five miles. What does your dog do? Now, I, like he's all of a sudden, his age has taken a, it's taken its toll on him. Got this nose that's been bleeding like every day for months and we have taken him into the vet a million times and they can't figure out what it is and then there now it's to the point where he had an appointment this week to get put under to do a some x-rays but then they were like it's really not worth putting him down because it's gonna be um too much on him you mean to like put not him worth down. putting him under Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, putting yes. him under. Um, it's so it's not worth putting him under because he might not survive it, and then all of the work follow after, like a um a rhinoscopy, might end up making it worse, and all these things. So right. now we're in the stages of how they say making him comfortable. Yeah. So we're just making him comfortable until. The other thing that I just said has to happen, but hopefully, right. I know it's just uh, man, it's hard. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, it's like feels thanks. like you just went through this. We did, <laughs> so yeah. It's yeah, it's just man, this year it's been a tough one <laughs> for lots of people. So yeah. that sucks. That um, suck. But something I love, I guess you know we're hitting springtime and things are feeling really good and hopeful and happy mm -hmm. and the sun coming out just makes me feel like a different person and so riding bikes was fun and then yesterday we did this thing I highly recommend it I don't know if this is a truly I don't know if this is a local thing or if they have them for other states but if you live in Atlanta there is this company called Clue Town and they make these books. In, oh, I've um, heard of this. I've heard people talking about this. Yeah. And we bought them. I recommend – you could buy them online, but I also recommend buying one at Little Shop of Stories, which is an adorable um, independent bookstore here in Atlanta. Yeah. Little Shop of Stories. But you can buy these books, and inside them are these, like, really great scavenger hunts. And they're super kid-friendly. Like, they're easy stuff that, like – the kids can get to it's just a matter of like walking to the next thing to find the next thing or whatever yeah and so and it's a little challenging but we did one in oakland cemetery last night and it was really fun and it was just something different outside uh to do and and everybody had a great time so i i super recommend that if you're looking for like you know COVID-friendly outdoor things to do with your family if you want to get outdoors. Yeah, that's awesome. I've been wondering yeah. if they were – if Max is too young. Max probably is a little too young for this because there's a lot of like word searches and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So, but what but about you, me? Could I do You it? can pretend. You could do it. I have full <laughs> confidence in your reading capabilities. Thank you. You could do it. <laughs> Uh, well, that's fun. I love that you guys did that. That's awesome. I didn't have anything dumb this week. I, I decided that I, I'm not going to start searching for dumb things if something doesn't come to mind right away. But now that you talk about Frank, I think that's my dumb thing too. Cause, oh, um, poor no, Frank. you have your, you have your own dumb thing. <laughs> no, my dumb thing is your dumb thing. I take your dumb thing, but that's dumb. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's too much too quickly. Um, but I hope he's he can be comfortable for a very long time. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. The thing that I love is that tomorrow I got tickets to virtually see Maria Bamford. You did? Yeah, I'm That's so excited. That's amazing. Yeah, I was I saw it like 
I saw her post about it. It's just, uh, you know, she and Jackie Cation are doing an online oh, show. Amazing. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I bought it like a month ago because I was like, you know what? This is something I, I would love. And I never, hardly ever watch stand up, but I think I've had enough space from it that like, I mean, Maria Bamford is always amazing. Mm-hmm. She's always yes, amazing. She headlined our Red Clay Comedy Festival this uh the last time we did it. <laughs> which yeah. was before COVID. Yeah. 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 And she's just she's always so unique and funny and 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 positive, even though she's talking about heavy stuff. And I just yeah. love her so much. And so I'm really excited. And I know that she's been working out so much stuff over over Zoom and whatever. She's just like she's a beast. She she She'll like, have you seen where she'll be on Twitter and she'll be like, hey, does anybody have a, a, you know, 30 minutes to Zoom with me so I can run some jokes? Like she likes to just, she'll just have like random people, like five people and she'll run her jokes. And um, she's awesome. She's amazing. And she's so nice yeah. and lovely. And I love Jackie Cation too. So funny. So yeah, me too. Um, so I'm just really excited to to do that. Awesome. From the comfort of my own home. We're going to have like a little date night and do that. So yeah, so that's what I love. So dude, I think that's episode 90. 90. Oh my God. We're 10 away from 100. We're 10 weeks away from our 100th episode. That's pretty amazing. What are you going to get me? Um, I'm going to take you out for drinks. (laughs) What do you get? you back home. What What do you get get? for the girl that has everything? (laughs) Um, I'll take drinks. I'll take drinks. Pizza? That sounds okay. great. Pe- I'll take some drinks and pizza. Pizza, perfect. And I'm getting you the same. Um, Amazing. All right, you guys. Thank you for sticking around through 90 episodes. If you're a new listener, thank you for finding us. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all and and uh, what's the other one? TikTok. TikTok at Dumb Love Podcast. Uh, you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com. You can rate and review on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts. Tell a friend. Tell a friend about mm-hmm. us. We would love if you did that. So do all those things. And also know we love you guys. We do. And make sure that you get out there in this beautiful sunshine and do something dumb for love. Dum da dum 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 da dum da dum da dum dum da dum dum.